When someone says to you, you've got a patella tendinopathy or you've got the anterior knee pain, the first thing you should really think about is like, why is it there? Mm. And like the answer that most people give you, it's a load related thing. The follow up to that though is, why is it the thing that's getting overloaded? Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective. I'm Jim and here at TFC, we're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week I'm back with Tom from Breath Performance Physio to explore the concept of patella tendinopathy, previously and more commonly known as patella tendinitis and more colloquially as jumper's knee. It's one of the most common causes of knee pain, especially in active people. And so we'll be the first in a series of episodes exploring different knee conditions. That's right, we're taking a break from the foot and ankle conditions to move up the chain, but of course it is all connected. And we find, especially with knee pain, there tends to be a very strong contribution from foot and ankle dysfunction that needs to be addressed. Of course, we discuss all of this in more detail throughout the episode, along with some practical tips to help you navigate your rehab journey as efficiently and effectively as possible. If you are struggling to make progress in your rehab, please feel free to reach out as we can either help you directly with our online consultations or we can point you in the right direction of other practitioners or resources that can help you. If you find value in this episode or any of our episodes, then you can support us by sharing it out with your family and friends to help us spread the word and also by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to share another story from our community. Nicholas Holt is a member of our Explorer program. Why, hello, hello. My name is Nick Holt, and I just finished the trek, the base camp. I'm here. I made it. For me, the most powerful element of the program of the trek was just the accountability, the idea of proof of work, to submit our our homework, to, to be seen by others, to, to witness others, and just build that really powerful community. So that really allowed me to, to show up even if it was only a few minutes a day. I used to have a lot of knee pain, really tight ankles and stiff feet, and all that stuff is, is definitely loosening up. So I still have plenty of work to do. I'll probably go on that trek a few different times to base camp. I look forward to taking other treks. If you're on the fence about doing the trek to base camp, all I have to say is just do it. 30 minutes a day for 42 days is a really, really powerful way to improve your health improve your lower body health, feet, ankles, hips, knees, everything is just feeling so much better. If you're like Nicholas and have a specific foot or ankle condition, issues up the chain at your knees, hips or back, or just want to improve your overall movement health, the Explorer program is for you. To learn more, head to thefootcollective.com forward slash explorer to learn more. The link is in the show notes. Patellotendinopathy. Right. So, so everyone's aware. Um, the patella tendon, it does run from, I think everyone should know what the quadricep muscle is, quad at the front there. There's technically a quadriceps tendon that then sort of goes over slash encapsulates your patella, so your kneecap, and then continues on and attaches down on your shin, so the tibia. So there's a big bump that most people will have on the front of their shin, uh, the tibial tuberosity. Uh, a lot of people growing up, going through growth spurts or playing sport will know that area quite well from things such as Osgood's slitis, which we'll talk about at a later date. But essentially, yeah, the patella tendon is what it is. It, it runs from the kneecap down to the shin. And then the tendinopathy part is, as we've described in previous podcasts, where your tendon, particularly this one, the patella tendon, has been overloaded or overused, and it's now causing some form of discomfort or pain experience. Mm-hmm. And when you just dive into that a little bit more, there's a whole host of reasons you might get the tendinopathy itself, which we'll touch on. But in essence, there is something about the structure, there's something about the load that's gone into it, something about what you've done that is causing it to now feel sore. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, we will get into that as well. And the quads tendon, so yeah, as you said, quad tendon runs from the quadricep muscle at the front of the leg down to the patella which is your kneecap and that one it actually is a a personal i'm not going to call it a weakness of mine anymore but it's a part of my personal history is i had bilateral as in both sides quadriceps tendinopathy originally i thought it was patella tendinopathy but it was actually of the quadriceps tendon and it was calcific just meaning there was 
cal- like some calcium deposits in the tendon as long along with the sort of degenerative processes in that tendon and so that was for i'm gonna say four or five years ago yeah, now pre-covid time <clears throat> definitely um and it was quite a journey and i learned a lot through that rehab journey um but thankfully actually i'm i'm gonna say there's still like a sensitive area but i can do everything that i want to be able to do i can jump i can squat i can play on the beam i can really play on the beam yeah i can really play on the yeah. beam um <laughs> But yeah, when I first started the Foot Collective, I couldn't play on a beam without my knees hurting. So that's that's yeah, something. And you've heard that here first. And, uh, you've James heard it here first. actually had pain on a beam at some point. <laughs> I know, how embarrassing. Yeah. No. Um, it's great for everyone to see after everything we see you do on the beam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. And so the point there is that while these tenant issues can be very frustrating, I, I know myself, I got very down in the dumps uh, after sort of a, a year or so of pain uh, or more. <laughs> and yeah, it can be very a very challenging thing, especially for me as a as you know a tw- early 20 year old thinking that I had old man knees for forever, <laughs> which is not just common either, by the way. No, there's a lot of people who get told that. Yeah, and it's like, oh wow, you're because especially when you find things like that, like, oh, there is degeneration in the tendon and there's these calcium deposits and it, it's, it paints this picture in your head that like, well, the tendon is just damaged and I'm not going to get better. But with a structured progressive rehab program, which we'll sort of discuss a bit more later, um, yeah, I'm, I've bounced back and I'm able to do all of the, the things that I love doing. And doing them well. So, we'll, we'll, yeah, I thought I'd just chuck that in there as a little... Uh, in, um, well, I think yeah, it's, proof, it's, it's, it's proof good, of what's possible. I suppose. Well, well, exactly. I think that's kind of the best part, right? Like you have a you have a clear example there of what you can achieve if you actually practice stuff and do stuff across a prolonged period of time, not just a a little bit of time. You really try to get stuck in and keep at it. Yeah, it was a, it was a probably close to a year long process to to go through that rehab, um, but not only did I rehab the tendon, I got stronger in a lot of ways. I learned a lot about my body, and that's that's one point that we come back to a lot on these podcasts is that injuries, pain and injuries are really a great opportunity for you to learn about your body and for you to actually improve the function of your body overall because, you know, pain in one area is never really just an issue in one area. It's pretty much always whole body, especially when you get to those sort of persistent and more chronic type pains. We're definitely going to be touching on that. That's for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, probably good to touch on how people experience it, I would imagine. Yep. Because anyone who has been diagnosed with patellar tendinopathy or knows that they have it will probably understand like, yes, it's anterior knee pain or front of knee pain, but it's often really uh, categorized by you feeling some form of tenderness sensation or pain sensation at the bottom of your kneecap. Mm -hmm. So, we call that the inferior pole of the patella. So, if I poke it with my finger... It'll likely hurt if you try to load it. So going up or down stairs, doing uh, leg exercises at the gym, squatting, leg extension, or running up and down hills and such. You will often... Jumping. Yeah. Jumping is a big one. Jumper's knee is, I believe, the slang term. Yeah, it's a good term. (laughs) So all those things, anytime you put load through the knee, you'll often experience the pain in there. And essentially, like you sort of touched on, what happens is it's a very sort of localized pain that happens from some form of overload. So what you'll experience is that it might not hurt during an exercise. You might do, mm. you know, a bunch of jumping in a session, but it's tomorrow or the next day after that that you go, my knee's still a bit sore. Yeah. And progressively, you know, it can ebb and flow with how it feels. Like most tendinopathies, when you warm it up a little bit, often feels good. You start exercising, feels fine, but it's then the after or the next morning that you're like, my knee's really sore. Mm. And I think what you'll find is it's one of those conditions that seems to happen in more active people. <laughs> Just yep. with just the way it works. So think basketball, volleyball, high jump, uh, sprinting, anything that requires a lot of loading through the knee, there's a risk of it happening. Yeah. Okay. And and I know for me and for a lot of people, it's real. And it, again, this is a common theme where it's a too much too soon kind of thing. And it, mm. I think this is especially with tendons where these connective tissues, like 
quite possibly your muscles are strong enough or have enough endurance to get you through, say, some kind of sport or workout. And for me, it was, you know, started going to the gym and started squatting a lot and doing a lot of plyometrics. And, you know, my muscles were handling it fine in terms of recovery. And I was, I was performing well, I was increasing my lifts, but my tendons apparently weren't ready for that increase in load because it was quite a it was quite a sudden increase in load um Mm. and i started doing a lot of different things uh without really gradually building up and uh, sometimes it's hard to tell that that you you need to do that because it's like well i can lift 80 kilos on this squat why not do this 80 (laughs) kilo squat yeah um but going from doing no not you know any regular weighted squatting to doing that much, you know, over a space of a few weeks, as well as a lot of jumping, you know, if once you look back, you're like, oh, that probably maybe wasn't the best idea. Um, Kind of trial and error for some. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing for me, and again, this is, this is true for a lot of people is you feel, you start to feel that niggle. And this is like the, the body whispering to you. It's like, Hey, that's something you might not actually be ready for this or it's it's basically saying you're not ready for this gives you a little niggle and you go oh it'll just go away and then you keep going because they all go away the old uh, (laughs) oh that'll go away that'll sort itself out and often things do sort themselves out so i'm not saying that 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 never happens but usually if you get something like that um it's a good chance to go hey am i possibly loading too much too soon here what have I been doing up until this point? How quickly have I been loading? Um, and then it gives you a chance to reevaluate your your program, basically. Well, I think that's a... Let's take that point because I think it's the most vital point to start with anyway of like when you feel a niggle, regardless of what it is, whether you, when you put your body through some form of stress, <laughs> you have the adaptation response. So whether that is in the gym or with running, jumping, you, you're likely going to feel something at some point and then does the body adapt? And that, that comes down to how well you're rested, how well are you eating, how, how are you sleeping, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But that's a normal response. That's the first bit. And I think the best way to point this out is like you don't really, you have like this slight inflammatory response, which allows you to have the adaptation. But within the tendon cells themselves, like there isn't this massive inflammatory response. Like you put a, a load through it, whether it's a tension or a compression load, that's a signal to your body that, okay, we're, we're putting load here. I'm going to need to adapt. But what can happen and kind of to what you touched on is like if you repeat that process without resting and you start to get this niggle or this whisper, your body is still trying to heal itself. It's still trying to lay down tissue in that area, but it's not necessarily laying it down in the way that you need it to do the activity Mm. because your body doesn't care about the activity. It cares about you staying alive. So it'll haphazardly patch up the area that feels sore and then you keep trying to load through it because you're not doing, say, specific work to tell it what to do and all of a sudden it gets worse and worse and worse yeah i think that's the first key point and that's sort of where we get to like uh the stages of like tendinopathy like that's essentially stage one that's a reactive tendon it's mm. had too much load it hasn't recovered enough and it's not getting the right signal of adaptation and i think like a really nice way to imagine it is like you know i think everyone's seen a, a veranda or a deck you know all the wood is going in the same direction right it's because hmm. the way the deck has to look if i started just putting random pieces of wood across the deck or in these other angles it'd be very haphazard looking it wouldn't look good and it probably isn't a functional deck because i have to step over it i have to step mm. around it i have to do everything that's kind of what happens in the tendon like the tendon has certain lines of force that it can be put through and you need to learn to load it in those lines to sort of get the rehabilitation response you're after but if you don't do that and you just keep doing things that you want to do and you know, it doesn't always work can be quite haphazard yeah and then the the tissue itself gets disorganized and then yeah it doesn't work as well as it should and then i don't know if i'm skipping stages here but you know at a certain point you get it turns from that whisper into more of a a yell, I suppose, or like a, maybe maybe it goes to like a, a firm voice, a, firm, no, a stern. I would say that's stage two. So, yeah. yeah. And it's like, hey, you, you know, you really can't handle that. <laughs> and um, I'm going to let you know about it. And that's when you start going, ooh, maybe I should be, maybe I can't squat like this anymore. Maybe I can't do the jumping. And I think, you know, if you were, 
we can probably talk about this later, but there are state like um, ways of loading that will make you make your tendon more likely to adapt well. Uh, so like slow loading first and then building up to fast quick loading, which is going to be an important part of your rehab process, but also just to avoid these issues, really making sure that your tendon can tolerate slow controlled loads before you start doing a heap of uh, quick sort of plyometric loads like jumping and landing and so on. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, so to, to get real specific then, so what I described in, in the literature was stage one, which is the reactive tendinopathy. And what you just described was stage two, the tendon disrepair, which is yeah. what it's technically called, where it just gets worse. Yeah. Like there's constantly more breakdown than there is rebuilding. Yeah. And that's just going to, again, end in likely a more pain experience because you're, you're going to continue trying to do the thing that you want to do, but you're not doing all those little like adjunct things that would actually help you do the thing you love doing. Exactly. Yeah. And for me, it was a case of, it was quite circumstantial, but I'd already started getting this. Um, yeah, I was probably already about stage two, like between stage one and stage two, but then I started getting into, um, well, long story short, getting into CrossFit because I was, um, working with, uh, crossfitters basically <laughs> and to be a part of the the crew it was like well we go, we go into a crossfit session and crossfit is sort of notorious for sort of fast-paced high intensity movements and then you know even I, I would tend to avoid doing things like that for the most part throughout the week but then there would be the time where we all get around and we do our crossfit and it's like it, I think that is a really common thing, with, whether it's CrossFit or not. It might be running. It might be just your sport. There is a reluctancy to um, miss out on being part of your community or just to miss out on your favorite activity because of this pain and you don't want to be limited by this pain. Um, but that is generally that tipping point with the tendon where things start to get worse and worse. And that goes into that, like you said, that phase of disrepair, stage two. Um, and then eventually pushes you towards stage three. Stage three. I don't like the word degenerative tendinopathy. It sounds, <laughs> sounds bad, but for people to understand, in stage three, it's like you've gone past the point of stage two where the tendon's no longer repairing and you can have sort of what they call uh, cell death. So in essence, the tendon gets so bad that it's... It, I, I just imagine it or when I describe it to people, it's like it's just tapped out. It's like you're not listening to me. I'm not going to, I can't heal this because it's too much load. There's not enough recovery and it just gets to a really bad place. Now, mind you, I don't really think I've seen that many people with the clinical definition of stage three. I see a lot of people with stages two, like one and two, because again, like even if you're someone who's say 40s, 50s plus, and you're just getting back into exercise and you're experiencing these problems, like there's going to be changes in your tendon relative to a young, sprightly 16, 20 year old. So I don't really see someone who doesn't have these tendons, right? Mm. So I don't like to think of them that way. And if you do, which we'll talk about the right sort of loading parameters and you find out the right angles for the person and you make the tasks specific, people get back really well. Yeah. Like, so I don't really like stage three. I don't like the word. No. And it again, like I said at the start, once once you start saying, oh, your knees are degenerated or your back is has all this degeneration and these things it's paints a picture in someone's mind of like, wow, my, my body's way older than it should be. Or, you know, like I think, um, someone I was talking to recently said that they're, you know, or you hear this a lot, actually. It's like, oh, you've got the knees of an 80 year old. When I was 16, <laughs> or, my, my best friend told me all the time he had the knees of an 80 year old. Yeah. And that's why he didn't want to play uh, football or soccer yeah. with us. Because if you look at a scan, it's like, oh wow. Yeah. Those knees look like an 80 year old person that I saw. It's like, this the and this is another important point that we've talked about before is that the this the way your body looks on an Im, on an image like a MRI um, or an ultrasound or whatever doesn't really tell you that much about whether you should be in pain or how you're functioning. Um, almost obviously, never. Yeah, almost <laughs> never. Obviously, there are cases where it's like a fracture or a, you know a complete tear of some structure then yeah that's going to marry up with uh pain and a loss of function but for these more sort of quote-unquote degenerative conditions um you know disc bulges are a good example of that these tendon issues are a good example they 
often can the, the symptoms and function can improve and even be completely eliminated without actually changing the structure of the tendon. Mm. So if you if you took an image of my tendons now, I think they'd look pretty similar to how they looked when they were really painful. Yeah, 100%. But they, and I, I haven't had that imaging, it'd be kind of interesting, but I just... It's not worth the money. It's not really worth the money. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the structure itself hasn't necessarily changed, which is potentially why... You know, they can get sensitive if I don't keep up with my sort of rehab and exercise or if I do way too much. But it's the same as any anything, really. Mm. Um, but the fun- their function and their symptoms day to day with pretty much everything that I do is immensely improved. So that that's a good point that it's like, yes, your tendon can get to stage three. It's not that that means they can't get better, but it... It might mean that it's a bit of a longer road, mm. which which is definitely true. <laughs> if, yeah, you, if you get things there. at stage one, it's going to be shorter than if you get things at stage three. Mm. But either way, there's always a path forward. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, as we get into like what to do about it, slash, you know, we were talking about the causes. I think like the whole concept of when you, when you look at the tendon itself, you have to think of like when I'm trying to rehabilitate it or move it, like it, it it's a different type of tissue to the muscle. So the way that you have to do work for it is different to just squatting or to just doing things that you would naturally do in, in the gym or that you would see in the gym. And I think mm. that becomes very important to understand. And I think like the last point to touch on before we get into all of that is so people do understand like your tendons, all of them are made of a certain uh, type of protein known as collagen. And the collagen itself is quite strong. Like it is actually very hard to like rip the damn thing. <laughs> like, so it's, you know, when you tear a tendon, it, it's not like most people are tearing tendons. It's very hard when you see them. You see a lot of them on like the, you know, your Instagram videos or TikTok reels that get spread when people like tear them doing really heavy squats or like they just have like, you mm. know, an Achilles snap is a good one. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're rare compared to just having the tendinopathy itself, but also very hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, te- the collagen, it, it remodels pretty well. Yeah. It's very poorly, um, vascularized so it has poor blood flow and doesn't have a great deal of like nerve fibers in there unless you get to stage three but like it just needs force at the right angles with the right intensity is what you touched on earlier to really start the rehab process yeah yeah for sure well trying to think if there's anything that we needed to explore before we get stuck into the rehab process Uh, well i mean the only thing i we're going to touch on which is the start of the rehab process as well is like when someone says to you, you've got a patella tendinopathy or you've got the anterior knee pain, the first thing you should really think about is like, why is it there? Mm. And like the answer that most people give you, it's a load related thing. And it's, it's true. It's not this true. The follow-up to that though is, why is it the thing that's getting overloaded? Yeah. Right? So we're big on feet, obviously, and I'm huge on breathing. It's two fun things. But if you can just imagine for a second that you have like just a picture of a leg and then you have the foot, the ankle, the knee and the hip. So we've got four different areas. If one of those areas is taking on more load because the other ones aren't working. So in this case, the front of your knee is taking on more load because your hip doesn't want to take on load and your foot and ankle don't take on load. It's evident that the knee will take on more load and get sore. Mm-hmm. And like the, I draw this model exactly for people all the time. It's like if the foot takes 25%, the ankle takes 25%, the knee takes 25%, the hip takes 25%, everything's hunky-dory and everything's equal. They're not all taking the same amount of load, but they're all taking their fair, their share. fair share. Yeah. And then all of a 25%, sudden... 25%, by yeah. the way, is arbitrary, but it's yeah. it's it's to create the... It's just 100%. The, the mental image. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, you know, when you put all the load through one, like you got 100% of the load going somewhere. If, if, you know, you just take off 5% of the foot, ankle and hip and you put that onto the front of the knee, that's whacking it up to 40%. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden it's doing a lot more work than the other places. And if you keep loading it that way with your jumping or your squatting or your running, it's not surprising that that's the area that ends up having some form of discomfort or pain experience down the track because it's taking a lot of work and it's likely not getting the recovery it needs. Yeah. So that's where like before you start wondering what to treat it with it's like you need to establish what is everything else doing around it and are they sharing the load yeah and yeah again this is what we always come back to in our podcast is yeah there's the there's that model and then there's also just looking at what have you started doing recently that Mm. you are potentially not ready for or didn't build up gradually enough very common is running 
or if you've just started playing a sport like basketball or, um, you know, just maybe you've been playing basketball, but you just started doing extra training or whatever. Usually there's going to be some kind of, I guess you could call that like the macro overload of like, hey, there's your, your body is just doing too much too soon. Yeah. And then if you look at it more micro, it's like, as, as Tom said, well, why is the knee the one that is uh, affected? Or why is it the pain manifesting in the knee rather than in the Achilles, for example? Um, and there will be probably some local factors in the knee and in the quad. Maybe it, maybe it is lacking strength. Once you're at stage two, for instance, generally you're starting to avoid certain movements mm. because it's painful. And so this is where your knee itself can or your quads or the muscles around the knee can start to get weaker because you're avoiding certain movements. Yeah, 100%. But at first, your knee is probably compensating for a reduction in function at the hip or the ankle yeah. or the foot. Yeah. yeah. So... I can take... I'll go through systematically if you like. Please. So I, I love me a systematic we, approach. Tommy loves systems. So uh, one thing I will say, and I learned this sort of concept from functional range conditioning is workspace over everything. So before we go, say, to the other factors that I spoke about, like look at the knee first. Does the knee flex and extend the way it should? Is there enough space in the knee joint? So like what that would mean is if you were to lay on your back, for example, at home, just try and bend your knee and pull your heel towards your bum. Can you do that the whole way? Yes or no. Mm. And if you can't, okay, we, we know that you might be lacking some space in there. Passively or actively comes to another story, but we need to know, does the knee move first? Yeah. Because if, if you don't have that range, you're going to load into certain ranges more than others okay and historically the one that we you, you'll touch on is people were told not to load their knee over their toe yeah so people got really strong at sort of loading between that range but when they got to the sports world or to the unconscious world of life where your knee goes over your toe every day all the time they got into trouble yeah so i think the first and foremost thing is start locally at the knee does the knee bend and straighten as much as it should and yeah. then you can then put that into more of an, just an active concept, just looking at the knee like a squat or something or going down a step of, can you take that knee joint through the range of whatever activities that you're trying to do actively? Yeah, because and that, uh, the principle is there that you usually get injured in the ranges of motion that you don't train in. So if, you're, if you purposely never train with your knees over your toes which is a very common which was a very common probably still is a very common it's, it's still very common across a lot of uh people but because we live in a world that's very <laughs> like do whatever you want as long as you can do it and we see constantly on like our feeds just amazing movement the general consensus particularly from the clients that i still see is they still think you they still do get it. told yeah so that is a, a very common belief so if you're never training with your knees over your toes and your tendons therefore never build resilience in that position, in that range of motion, then you get to real life, like you said, even just going downstairs or going down a hill. Which are or, two of the most common complaints yeah, with yeah. The, the, the tendonopathy. Or things like jumping and sports where your knees are constantly going over the toes. kind of makes sense that you're lacking some resilience in that range and therefore you're more likely to have issues with adapting and recovering to that load yes cool so yep next uh, part of the system i don't want to don't no, want to derail no, the that's system. a good system I, like, yeah, I think i think that's <laughs> just a local. key point for people to like look at and then oh, one thing i would say to that as well uh, and it's not the it's definitely not a long-term it's not a fix but sometimes symptoms can be managed when you if you're thinking about starting local say you can't flex your knee all the way a little bit of tissue release or massage on the quads can actually go a long way to helping you improve range of motion and even and even reduce symptoms oh 100 yeah. percent. and again like it's as simple as if the quad and for the most part let's say it's the vastus lateralis because that's the one that always seems to get stiff for a lot of people for a whole host of reasons that we don't have to touch on you get rid of some of the tension in that and then you can put more load into the quad you are taking away load from the patella tendon. Yeah. So other things can function. So manual therapy can be very useful to help with the symptoms and start the loading process. Yeah. 100%. Because, yeah, you, depending on what stage you're at, your knee might be really sensitive mm. and you might, you know, any amount of load might be like, oh, that's going to hurt or, you know, may, may irritate you. And that's actually pretty much where I got to. And 
doing some pretty intense quad release on a foam roller went a long way for me to be able to actually then get stuck into some movement rehab. Yeah. So it's not, uh, you know, there's a whole heap of things that manual therapy is not, and it's not a long-term fix for any problem, but it certainly can do a good job of modulating your symptoms or improving your symptoms to the point that you can get more out of your movement and load-based rehabilitation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so worth just worth touching on that. 100%. And I think, so this is where we, we have to derail into two different approaches. And like, I mean, I go for more of the model that I said of like, what is the foot, ankle and hip doing as to why is the knee not, you know, why is the knee getting all the load? And I break that down to a lot of the individual muscles in the foot, ankle. So think back of the calf, front of the shin, your quad hamstring, glutes. But just generally go and look at all those ones and figure out the other limitations. So does mm. the hip move like the hip should? Does the ankle move like the ankle should? Does the foot move like the foot should? And before I ever start putting load into a sensitive knee or the patella, I will always start loading the other spots first mm. to see why, where is their capacity lacking? Because what you'll often find is similar to the um, idea of manual therapy. If I you know, get stuck into your quad and then if the symptoms change, I can easily just go, okay, your calf isn't doing its job. I've identified that through testing. Get your calf doing a little bit of work. Oh, my knee's better. Because again, I'm able to shift load away from the knee into the calf. Now, that doesn't mean that the problem's gone. It just means I've taken away some of the pain in the, the knee by taking the load away. And yep. a simple analogy, I still always use it, is the bruise analogy. Like if I just stop poking that bruise, it stops hurting. So if I mm. stop loading the tendon as much, it stops hurting. Mm. So I think that's a very simplistic way to look at it, but it, it helps people in their own brain conceptualize what's going on. Yeah. So I will go hunting for those things. And that is then looking at different planes of motion as well. So most of the problem with patella tendons is sort of that forwards backwards sort of style of movement. But you have to look at side-to-side movement and rotational-based movements. And I have a ton of tests, both bed tests and just like general movement tests. But I, I will always look at that first. But what we got taught at uni, which is also not a bad place to start, is like, okay, if the knee is that the reason, like it's just not strong enough to take on whatever it is that you're doing for whatever reason, okay, how do we start loading the patella tendon? And I will always start with an isometric load. Yeah. I will, I will want to start at an angle that is not the specifically painful angle, but I will take it just off that and I'll get people to, again, contract, contract, so try and push against it and pull away. So the example, I think it's in the literature, they talk about like the knee isometrics to help for pain where they sit on a chair, you put your foot up against the wall at like what 45 degrees or something mm. and you, you push onto the wall for 45 seconds and you repeat it five times. It's great, it helps, the research backs it up, but you wanna be able to pull as well. So you're thinking about doing like a, isometric quad extension isometric heel um or hamstring curl yeah and the idea behind that is kind of back to workspace over everything i need both sides of that joint to function so i want to make sure that both of those are actually functioning Mm. okay Mm. and as a caveat to that i will also check if the the shin can rotate because your knee isn't just a flexion extension it has to be able to rotate so you want to go locally around the knee and check those capacities and start to build it up and again once you've done that isometric loading you'll find that often the pain changes. Yeah. And just to double click on your point before about why... Double click, oh, I like <laughs> it. I heard that on from someone. <laughs> uh, doesn't, I don't know if it really makes sense, but just to come back to that point about how when you start, you know, you identify some dysfunction in the calf, for example, or in the ankle, and then you... purposely load that area. And it's basically showing the body or teaching the nervous system that it can take load through that area and like doing it in an isolated way because sometimes that's what's needed it's like it's basically giving your nervous system another option because that's exactly what it is yeah if the if the if the calf has lost um you know function strength or mobility or for whatever reason often that's to do with shoes people are wearing and lifestyles that they engage in um then the body compensates the nervous system compensates and moves in certain ways to just get around that and so once you teach it and show it that it can actually load into that calf and actually build some capacity then it starts to just naturally self-organize and do less of the compensations it had been doing which inevitably tends to take load off from the knee. I'll give you a clinical yeah. example from last week because I think it's the easiest we thing. Much I, better. I saw, I saw a guy, 
really active dude um could body weight squat with no problem no pain you put like any weight onto it it hurt i was like okay interesting in the knee in, in the, the knee in the front of the knee yeah. and, and then you know like once we lo- had a look at the squats like the squat technique was perfect it looked beautiful there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever his foot pressures and everything looked really good i was like okay this is interesting went through a bunch of testing and we're like all the testing looks pretty good like he's a bit sensitive over like the patella tendon attachment but it's it's not terrible but so you could say it's like reactive got him to try calf raises all right okay can you do a straight leg calf raise on on the left side totally fine on the right side struggled like Mm. ah, interesting (laughs) and then i said can you do like a bent knee calf raise now for people to understand bent knee calf raises will target more of your deep calf muscle known as the soleus which is very important to control your shin as your knee goes over your toe right on the left side okay on the right side horrendous Hmm. i'm talking like couldn't do it at all but his doubles were fine he's like you know like i said straight leg was okay so all we did was like, can we go load that muscle? So let's go load the soleus. Just keep it simple in a certain position. We held it for 90 seconds. And like, cause I wanted to really expose it to some time under tension. Got up, loaded the squat again, zero pain, none. There you go. And, and, and but it's not, it's not rocket science. And his problem that he's experiencing is still likely in the knee. It's just that, oh, my nervous system has woken up to this new pattern that I could do, which is load calf muscle. Oh, I can load my calf now. So he learned how to push through his foot in a better conscious way, which allowed him to experience less discomfort when you know mm. doing the movement. And sometimes it can be that quick in terms of a ner- once the nervous system changes, which can be fairly instantaneous, which is, by the way, what massage and manual therapy does, mm. uh, you can get a really... Um, quick change in symptoms which usually is a good sign that if you continue doing that it's going to help the problem in the long run yes and i think like there there are ways in which people do utilize that from a really positive benefit such as that it's like okay we've identified a a weak point let's work at that and often more than often you find that it helps in the long run across a six-week program people do it's like oh yeah i have no problem cool we've learned to load better there are some times where you can change you know like i could do something at the shoulder for example and it might change the discomfort at the knee but that's not going to change the movement pattern mm. so it's it, it's a cool party trick but it's not going to be useful in the long term no and i think it's it's worth noting because you do see that a fair bit too like online with all sorts of weird stuff yeah yeah and um sweet so back to where we were before that double click yeah the double click uh, well so we've gone through look at everything else and we've gone through locally assessing the knee with isometrics and like uh, yeah. loading so once you've learned to load certain angles you need to take your knee joint through as much range as possible without discomfort yeah yeah or very minimal discomfort uh reason is like again similar to your point there's no point just doing isometrics by themselves no like that's not going to help you in the, in the real world it's not going to help you play sport eventually you're going to want to move through a yeah, bigger range you've got to go it. through a range yeah so <laughs> gonna, yeah essentially the way that I visualize and explain to clients is like this one particular angle that you're having a problem with, like your nervous system needs to learn how to load there. And then we're putting it or plugging it back into your proper movement. So in the sports and or strength world, it's, you know, part practice and then it's whole practice. We're just practicing a whole movement. So it might be as simple as go load and eat a similar angle to the squat where you're having pain and then go practice some form of squat to practice the squatting pattern. Yeah, and it's going through ranges, so we're getting the lowering and the then so the eccentric and then the concentric movement, and both are useful. But what you'll find, and I'm sure this is worth discussing, is eccentric tends to be more useful during tendinopathy-like presentations than concentric at the beginning. Yeah, and there is a reason for that. What is the reason, Tom? Oh, do you want to say the reason? I know the reason. (laughs) So the reason is like when you look at um, how one loads uh, connective tissue, which is like non-muscular tissue in some sense. Um, Once I go into an eccentric, I'm really lengthening out connective tissue, tendons or all the connective tissue between the muscular tissue. And I'm in essence getting myself A, prepared for the stretch shortening cycle or the energy storage loading stuff, which comes next. But I'm also just exposing the connective tissue to more load. So when I'm trying to think of it as, as an example of the arm, if I'm doing my bicep curl, I'm pulling it up. It's a lot of muscular effort. There's a lot of conscious effort to get the weight up. But as I'm lowering it down, like I need, there's a lot of load that goes through the connective tissue, so the non-muscular tissue. So you, it's a better way of loading the non-muscular tissue. Yeah. At the start. Yeah, and you're generally stronger with eccentric. I think Tom said before, but eccentric is where you're lengthening, contracting a muscle while it's lengthening. So yeah, if you imagine lowering a weight down in your hand from the top position of a bicep curl down, 
that's the eccentric portion and we tend to be a lot stronger or significantly stronger in that eccentric contraction of the muscle versus the opposite and i think where they get to or my understanding is that the tempo is just probably one of the most important things um very important yeah because if you rush the drop you're not exposing yourself to time under tension which yeah. is is the key bit so like you could do say 15 reps with a two second drop you get 30 seconds worth of it or you could do like six reps with a five second drop and you're still getting the same time under tension doing the same thing yeah the specificity to what you need to do might depend per sport per like what you're trying to actually get back to but it's time under tension that's important mm. so like i will often get people to go slow so like a five to six second drop and the reason is that like all things there's going to be one point that is quite uncomfortable or they don't like so we learn the exact point where the tendon's struggling and then we can start to again rework in some more mm. isometrics at the new angle and, and you sort of just like you're always sort of feeding back on what you've done previously to then move it forward and keep building yeah and you want to start slow and that's a, a, a key point is that and this is a, a saying i believe it comes from weightlifting but slow is smooth smooth is fast yes. so as tom said if you do a movement really slowly like a squat the slower you go the more likely you're going to see where there's points where you're you struggle in that movement and then once you find those points you can try and strengthen in that in that point for example if it's halfway down on the way down and on the way up that you notice a change in smoothness or like an uh, uh, a challenge for keeping that movement slow then you strengthen in that range and then when you do it fast it's much more smooth and controlled and that goes for a fast squat or then obviously a squat turn, can turn into a jump yes whereas if you never take the time to do it slow, one, you don't get that time under tension, but two, you don't actually see the dysfunction because it's too, you're doing the movement too quickly and you'd have to use like a slow motion camera <laughs> to see it. And, and sometimes you just won't see it. Um, and you'll never feel it. That's, yeah, you, know, that, you won't that, feel it. That's, that's the true. strange part about it. So like there's always these angles for people who come and see me because I see obviously a, a subset of people who are often in discomfort. They um never know that there's an angle that they struggle to push in with a squat or try to do something. Mm. So you slow it right down, you find the angle like, man, this this is really hard. Like, yeah. It's in, and then it, you go outside that angle by like five degrees sometimes. Like, this is really easy. It's like, yeah, there's there's a very particular angle that you just aren't good at loading at and you're trying to load through it. So you skip it at speed and that causes all sorts of issues as to where you load and how you load stuff. Yeah, yeah. But once you have the right um, framework and the right model, it's actually really easy to find those spots. And then it's about just, again, like any training program, just finding it and then repeating across time to get the adaptation. Yeah. So as a general rule there, start with isometric as in you're contracting the muscle without moving. There's a lot of different ways to do that, but that's the principle. Then build up into slow eccentrics which is mostly the lowering portion. Um, an example of that might be, you know, loading, on, holding, holding a weight on the way down into a squat, putting the weight down and standing back up without the weight, as an example. Yes. There's probably more and better examples, um, but you get the idea there is you're putting more load on the lowering portion of the exercise than the raising or yes. lifting. Then you can go into more slow concentrics. Mm -hmm. Well, concept, obviously, mm -hmm. if you're doing a, a dynamic movement, there's a concentric and an eccentric portion where you're lifting and lowering. And the idea is still to keep it slow, which is basically what we said there, where you, you keep the same load in the squat, you go up, uh, you go down and up slowly, you find those sticking points, you, you do some targeted strengthening at the sticking points. Then what do you do? You jump. You go fast. <laughs> you go really fast. Yeah. So uh, the reason you need to go fast, because and this is probably one of the less well done aspects of tendinopathy for people who don't quite understand. I think people do the first bits really, really well. The problem is it's very conscious. You're very aware of what you're doing, which is good and it helps you become more competent, build yourself efficacy, get stronger. But then real life happens. And real life is fast and very like unconsciously driven. So mm -hmm. if you look at it from a, a rehabilitation standpoint, if I want to play volleyball, basketball, run, do any of that stuff, 
I'm not often thinking about how I'm moving. So I need to make sure that this tendon can work in the way that I need it to for my sport. So I want to be able to go through full range and jump and do whatever I need to do. And when you think about it, we call it the stretch shortening cycle. So in essence, when I stretch the tendon, the tendon gets a relative stretch and then I release. So think as I go down for my jump and then I jump up, I'm stretching then releasing like a rubber band. I'm storing potential energy. Right, and that potential energy as it gets released gets turned into kinetic energy. All of a sudden, I can actually spring high. And if anyone wants to test this, if you are able to try to just do a squat and then jump up slowly versus a quick squat jump, and you'll find that it's a lot easier to do the squat jump because you can stretch and then jump. Yeah. Right. Or if if you do a jump from the bottom of the squat or from like halfway from a squat, then versus yeah quickly going down into a squat and jumping back up you'll find it's really hard yeah really hard and like so and you want that because you want to put the load through the tendon that way and again there's lots of lots of different ways to do that plyometric like training okay Mm -hmm. and it's gonna again it loads the connective tissue really well which is what we're after so the tendon itself is connective tissue We're, we're loading all the other connective tissue and we're taking all the slow training that we've done and trying to implement into sport specific training yeah but for the people who don't play sport we're putting into life like when you trip down the stairs you don't trip slowly mm. you want to catch yourself yeah. if you fall most people fall because they're not reactive if yeah. i'm you know having to jump out of the road or something you know acutely like it's always quick and the quicker you can learn to train the better adaptation or like the cross effect you get into life mm-hmm. yeah yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to go through life having to take five to six seconds to squat down and pick something up no, <laughs> each time. You want to be slow. able to go fast, just down and up. Um, and you know, from from our perspective, whether it's sport or not, you want to be able to play with with various movements. Um, you know, whether it's just on a beam or going for a rock hop or going for a run down down to the park and chasing a frisbee mm. you, you want to be able to move freely and fast movements are a big part of that yes so um very that, important that's part. the progression again you you this will sound familiar from some of the previous podcasts we've done on the achilles and plantar fascia but they're all connective tissues and whether it's connective tissue or not that's just a smart way to approach rehab is yes. introduce some load with you know minimal movement start then go slow then go fast yes. it's sort of just a, a good general principle it's mostly always the way yeah um well really, now the, the other stuff yeah which <laughs> yeah i don't really like the other stuff so much but it's it's worth mentioning yeah um so like in all the podcasts i mean as you can tell we always talk about the active stuff the things that you can do the behavioral change exercise stuff that's worth doing but we have to mention all the passive or the surgical stuff that is out there yeah i mean the first one is the drugs just like your panadol or your nsaids your neurofren non uh steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs they can help with the discomfort but they will do next to nothing for your tendon health in the long run it definitely yeah. absolutely nothing for your tendon <laughs> health and i think where where that can get really dicey is oh i'm getting this niggle i'll take some anti-inflammatories or some panadol uh and therefore the niggle won't be there and then that is more likely to pu- push you towards because you want to be able to do whatever it is mm. um and then that pushes you towards or down those stages yes of um of disrespect disrepair and degeneration you keep loading because you keep loading it yeah so uh yeah taking painkillers or anti-inflammatories is like just um you know turning the the smoke alarm off when there's a fire going on (laughs) and and there is some research that i read a few years ago showing that like there is a difference in the um tissue response with anti-inflammatories uh in like the first couple of weeks i don't know what the long-term outcomes were because i didn't think they did them in that paper but it was like Initially, it can be similar, but at the two-week mark and maybe three-week mark, your tissue healing showed a poorer response when yeah. you're when you're taking anti-inflammatories. And then, I think well, it makes part, sense. Yeah, and part of it is just again probably the way you load it. Like mm. you know, like it's just masking something that's actually a problem. So then you keep doing things. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, you know, if you're using them as like if you're in that much pain that you absolutely have to have some kind of medication on board in order to do a very intelligent and progressive loading program that's one thing but if you're using them to kind of 
push through. dull the pain and push through, then it's not a good long-term strategy. No. And then, I mean, the next one to follow up with that is the corticosteroid injection. Yeah. I would just 100% highly recommend it ever against getting that injection into your tendon. Full yeah. stop. I don't yeah. care which tendon. Because it... With, with tendons, what people should probably understand is like they're very much like one structure. It's it's mostly just collagen. And then there's a bit of like space in there. But when you start injecting it with things, you start to have these um, blood cells and nerve endings sort of come into this space where they weren't previously. Mm. And it re- can really quicken the process to that stage three degenerative tendon stage where there's not just collagen and, and some other substances in there. There's all these new things that weren't there previously. Mm. And the ability to load that tendon changes drastically. Yeah. And again, and uh, again, that is, so there's that, there's that aspect of like essentially changing or accelerating that change in structure in the tendon, but also they can, those injections can cause a short-term relief in symptoms, which just makes you more likely to overload the tendon. Again, I mean, if we want to get like, you know, really clear, there has been some really good case studies um, of people having, what you call uh, paratendonitis. So like there's a sheath around your tendon, similar to like a sock around a foot, Mm. that if it gets inflamed and you use the injection around it, not into the tendon, that can help with some of the symptoms if if the pain experience is seemingly starting to be caused by an inflammatory effect. Mm. But again, that's a sports physician question and it's often used in the sporting world to keep competing. Yeah, It's not necessarily to improve quality of life per se so yeah I, I think high caution that's in like the definitely get a second opinion before getting anything stubbed into that tendon definitely uh and i guess the same thing goes well it's not the exact same but surgeries i've never really seen uh, a patella surgery no uh, like just would, for a tendon like a tear yeah like a full tear and like that makes sense because you need to reattach it yeah, <laughs> and that, so that's logical. That's fair enough. Yeah, I've I've never seen one. Um, no, neither. So I don't really want to make too much comment on it, other than I suppose that there's probably there are some people who who might benefit from it. You know, let's say you're a bit older and like you're just you're just are sick of it and like you don't want to do all the exercise and all the other stuff. Maybe it can. Benefit well, from see, it. the thing is, I think a lot of the benefit of surgery is like forced rest fo- well that was the follow up part yeah followed by forced gradual rehab yes so i think that's kind of the thing like it's rather than me say that you're going to have to go through this 3 to 6 month process of doing xyz and like this is likely to be outcome when the, a surgeon tells you this is definitely the outcome that you're going to get and you got to do this anyway i think it's the, the clarity of the plan and all the other factors mm. that actually help as that you just mentioned yeah and the reason we say that is because that there is that evidence that there can be these structural issues, especially for tendinopathies and stuff. There are structure. There are a lot of people with structural degeneration in the tendons that are completely pain-free. Hundred percent. And so, going in and changing the structure with surgery is it's probably more. Yeah, it's probably less to do with if you have a good outcome or if someone has a good outcome with surgery. It's probably more to do with the fact that they had the forced rest and then the forced gradual rehab, rather than the actual surgery itself. Mm. Um, and gen- you know, surgery has risks. It's best to avoid those risks. I like to minimize possible. my risks yeah. in that world. I saw something actually the other day, which is kind of an interesting way to look at it. But someone thought someone had posted on Instagram and it was basically saying. I think the reason people can rush into surgeries or there seems to be a lot of unnecessary surgeries these days is because you can go under anesthetic. Mm. And the question is, would you go and do that same surgery if there was no anesthetic? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. I can confirm I had all four wisdom teeth taken out under local anesthetic. Not saying anesthetic is bad. But coming out of that, just local anesthetic, because I was awake for the whole thing, was the most horrendous headache I've mm. ever had in my life. Yeah. Full stop. Like it was horrendously painful. Yeah. And I think where surgeries are needed, anesthetic is like great, like awesome, great mm. invention. But it was just an interesting perspective, I thought, because it's like people seem to not really think about the, um, like, I guess the extent or the intensity of what a surgery is, like literally cutting your body open. It's trauma. And yeah, it's like a severe trauma. Yeah. So... And no one, and they don't talk <laughs> about it like from a... And this is where like the psychological aspect of it's really important. Like no one 
They don't look at it like, oh, I got my body, oh, I had surgery. But no one ever then talks to you about how do you feel about the surgery? Like, can you actually like go through that process? Yeah. Because there's a whole underlying, the body keeps the score. It knows. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're not knocking on surgery in general. There are definitely cases where surgeries can be life-saving and so on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that. But also there, I think, and from the, re- from the literature and the research, they are overdone for many conditions. And it turns out that what most or what a lot of these conditions, especially is sort of more uh, persistent soft tissue issues are down to just <laughs> relative rest and gradual loading. And so uh, if you wanted a clear guideline, like the guideline that's currently stated is like you must really attempt three months of exercise therapy which is what they write it as before you consider surgery for the yeah. most part so three months is what 12 weeks so that's really two good training like blocks you know yeah. doing stuff and for that to be honest that's if everything goes to plan like honestly it ends up being slightly longer in my mind I, if you've been suffering from this problem say for 10 years and you're thinking about getting surgery it's not going to disappear likely in two months like it might take half a year to a year or longer you should put that time in before getting surgery i think yeah definitely and i think that two months is more you can use that as a chance to not necessarily completely fix it but to say hey i'm getting some improvement in the symptoms i can i can feel the improvement in my strength and my function yeah you'd have to you would and and the thing is some exercise therapy it a lot of it depends on the programming and the adjusting the program as as you go. Um, so, you know, even if you've quote unquote tried physio or tried exercise physiology, before going into surgery, you should really sort of try again with someone else. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I genuinely think that's half the... Like I get numerous people in the clinic who have done that same thing. Like they've tried one or two therapists, different types of backgrounds and haven't had the success. And it's like a you go through the program and often it's not as well structured or people don't understand what they're doing. And I think really, and I think I've touched this many times, like the therapeutic alliance, the relationship you have with your Mm. practitioner is so key to you having a good experience and give people a shot, but don't be afraid to like shop around until you find someone Mm. who's actually meets, talks to you about what you actually want to do and helps create a plan that gets you back towards what you want to do. Not just because they said, Oh, you've got knee pain. Let's do this exercise. That never works. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Find someone who aligns with your values and go forward. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and has a holistic approach. Like you might have tried exercise at the knee, but maybe you haven't really looked at all of the other um, areas. Calf. Like we have. Yeah. The calf and the foot and the ankle. So, um, that pretty much is a good place to wrap it up. I think I, the last thing I would add is that lifestyle factors come into play here like you know how much time are you spending sitting in a chair versus on the floor what are you eating what kind of foods are you eating are you systemically inflamed are you sleeping enough are you sleeping getting enough good quality sleep all of these factors that we don't really get into each podcast because we've talked about them in the principles of rehab podcast they that go we did everything that we say yeah so uh important to look into those and consider those factors as well because they all play a big part in how you recover and you know the, the general levels of um, inflammation in your body and, and like we said it it might not be really local inflammation that is the biggest cause of these issues which is why they don't call them itis anymore tendonitis mm. it's tendinopathy but your levels of systemic systemic inflammation will tend to play a role in your pain experience as well so all of that being said, it's probably enough to get you going at, at the moment. I think so. Um, you can, if you if you are struggling, um, you know, as we always say, we do see clients ourselves, and we do have now a TFC Pro directory of like-minded practitioners. So there's always a way to get help. Um, so please reach out if you are wanting help. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good idea. And then again, like I said, just find someone who lines up with you. I think that's always going to be the the key. Yeah, yeah. Finding someone who you trust, who you resonate with, who has an empowering approach. Um, and yeah, mm, I think that's it. That's about it. We'll wrap it up. Let us know if you have any other suggestions or requests for topics. Uh, but otherwise, we'll just keep 
Come back for we'll anterior back knee pain next a, time. Yeah, more, the, <laughs> we'll do a bit of a knee pain series, basically. Yeah. All the other things that can cause pain at the front of the knee. Yeah. What a time. <laughs> Fun time. Yeah. All right. All right, thanks for listening. Adios. Catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, join our brand new free community. Inside, you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way. To join, just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.